Let me just start by just briefly saying this. One of the things over these last few days, one of the passages that came to Sharon was the 23rd Psalm. And she shared with me some of what she had been listening to the Lord about and, 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 and hearing. It's one of those moments through this week, we've had many of them, where we're just sitting and we're just talking and we're just in the Lord's presence and we're just seeking the Lord to minister to us as we pick our way through what we've been through this last week. And that 23rd Psalm, and, and, and it really was ministering to Sharon, and she, she said something, and she was talking about the, the fact that it says, even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and I can't remember exactly what she was saying, but what struck me from what she was saying was, it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and as I was looking out from my conservatory, I saw a line across the garden. I saw the sun and I saw the shadow. And I knew that it was cold. It was cold in the conservatory. And I knew if I went into the garden in the shadow, it would still be cold. But I knew if I crossed over into the sunshine, it would be warm. And the Lord just said to me, you walk in the valley of the shadow of death. Yes, you feel it's cold, evil intent, but it never can touch you because you can step into the warmth of my presence. And I just wanted to share that with you this morning. God has been with us through this. We have testimony of God arranging things beforehand. Yes, it was unexpected. Yes, boy, has it been difficult. But God has been with us through this. His presence has been there. He has, he's given us precious gifts in the middle of this to take us through. And on Friday, we had a, a word from Paul, Paul Walker, who's um, John's pastor, who said that John is starting now to process. And things are, he's still getting upset, but he's not out of control. He's not off the scale. That's what it was at the beginning, completely uncontrollable. And even in the home, certain things there as well. God has blessed us in what we've been hearing. So just a very brief update on that and a testimony to God's power, God's grace, God's presence in and through this. God is amazing. I know you know that, but I'm just giving you our testimony of that as well. So thank you. Thank you for your prayers. I wanted to finish this series, I wanted to preach this part because last week we got up to a point and I felt that was the point we needed to stay at and then move on and I do feel God has got a word for us. So I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna get on with, with where we were, move on from where we were last week. I don't know if you've heard about this, um, I'm not sure whether it's an old wives tale, I've never really tried it, but it's an old remedy for catching flies. We've got one of those zappers in the kitchen. And every now and again, there's this big crack that makes you jump. <laughs> so you're sitting there, you're doing something, and, and suddenly there's this big crack, and then another one bites the dust, you know. <laughs> so there's that sort of sense that, oh, good, the flies are being dealt with. Well, there is another way. I'm not sure whether it's more humane, but did you know that fruit flies particularly are irresistibly drawn to the smell of fermenting fruit? And um, it's said that if you put a little apple cider vinegar 
into a jar and you make some little holes in the top of the, the lid that your plastic lid you put on, what will happen is the flies will be so eager to get hold of this, this um, apple cider vinegar, they'll go in through the holes and they can't get back out again. Now, if anybody's tried it, see me afterwards and tell me if it works, but I'm not really sure. Having said that, the reason for saying that daft little thing was because I was reading something in the week. Twice God spoke to me and, and ministered to me uh, during this week. And one of them was, was this, this thought. Charles Spurgeon, in his Spurgeon's birthday book, wrote this. If you want to catch flies, and you'll see the link, if you want to catch flies, try honey. They will be more readily caught with that than with vinegar. Uh, dot, dot, dot. At least if they're human flies. <laughs> he then goes on to say this, put into your speech love rather than bitterness and you will prevail. There are times when you must speak with all the sternness of Elijah, but, but for all that, let the general current of your life, and I love the way he puts this next bit, the natural flow of your entire being, be thankfulness to God and kindness to man. I just thought that was beautiful. Put into your speech love rather than the bitterness and you will prevail. There are times when you must speak with all the sternness of Elijah, but for all that, let the general current of your life, the natural flow of your entire being, be, a, be thankfulness to God and kindness to man. Let's just pray. Father God, I pray that you will speak to us this morning. I pray that you will challenge us. Some of the things I want to talk about this morning can become heavy. I pray they won't become heavy, but they will challenge. I pray that you will stir us, you will encourage us, and you will give us hope as we hear your word. I pray that, Lord, in your name. Amen. Quick recap. Last week, if you remember, we talked about um, being Christians. We said that if we are Christians... Christian, by definition, the name Christian means Christ's follower. So if we're Christians, then we're followers, we're followers of Christ. If we are followers, followers of Christ, followers of Jesus, then we are disciples, because a disciple is one who follows. And that is what Jesus has called us. He called, when he called his disciples, he said, come, follow me. He called them to be disciples. A true disciple, if you remember, I quoted somebody else saying, a true disciple is not just a student or a learner. A true disciple is a follower. That means that he, he or she is one who applies what he has learnt. Someone who becomes like the master. Also remember, and I feel this is really important for us, because I believe God's got work for us to do here in Harlow as a fellowship, as a church. And I believe that the way God wants to do that is based upon this next statement. God can use us, any one of us, all of us. God can and wants to use you and me, every single one in this room who owns him as Lord and Saviour. And I believe that's what God wants us as a fellowship to get hold of. It is not the ones and twos. It's not the ministry team. It is not the worship team. It is not the evangelism team. It's not the pastoral team. And not that we don't have those and use those appropriately, but it is not they that have the calling, you and I as individuals, as people, in this fellowship, part of the ministry of all believers, you and I have that calling upon us. 
And that we must get as a church. Because we must go as a body and see Harlow changed. Not just sit and pray. And don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say sitting and praying doesn't make a change. Yes, it does. Prayer is one of the most powerful things that we can do in our lives. But also we need to get up and go out and just do the little that we can. And that was part of that's encompassing, maybe expanding a bit on where I got to last week. So this morning I want us to look at what it means to be a Christian. There we go. There we go, thank you. I want us to look at what it means to be a Christian. We're going to look at Luke 9, 23 through to 27. And um, we're actually going to look at the first part of that, the first couple of verses. And the thoughts that I want to bring to us this morning, I want to bring from that passage. But let me just give you a bit of background. Up to this point, this particular chapter in Luke is probably about three years. It's just about three years since the disciples came. About three years prior, Jesus came along and said to the disciples, come follow me. And they followed him. And for three years, they walked with him. For three years, they saw amazing things happen. You just imagine if Jesus was here now and went into Harlow and started raising the dead, casting out demons. Yes, even in this time and this day and age, demons still exist. We don't have to be terrified of them. We don't have to be controlled by them. But they do exist. We have to have a right attitude towards them, recognizing that we're in Christ, that we have authority, but not recognizing we have to focus on them. We have to focus on Christ. Driving out demons, raising the dead, raising dead people. If Jesus came and started walking through the town and went up to the hospital and started just talking to people, laying hands on people, and they started getting raised from the dead, just imagine how you would feel. Walking with Jesus through Harlow. Seeing the dead raised. Seeing people with mental problems completely freed, instantly, bang, done, dusted, sorted. Feeding thousands of people. Thousands of people. They lived with this. These disciples walked with Jesus through this. They were there right with him. They were part of it happening. They were... It happened. It's not a story. To us, this is something we've read. Something, yes, we've, we've taken in. We've absorbed. We've, we, we, we can see it. We've made beautiful films about it. But they were there. They saw it happen. They smelt the kippers or whatever it was the little boy brought. They actually smelt that stuff. They, they broke the bread. They touched the crumbs. They were there. Imagine what that's like. And then Jesus says to them, at the beginning of this, just before we get to this little bit that we've got here, after all of that, towards the end of his time here, he turns to them and he says, what do the people think of me? What are they saying about me? Who do they say I am? What, 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 what are people saying about me? And the disciples, verse 19, turned to him and said, oh, you're John the Baptist, you're Elijah, you're one of the prophets come back to life. That's what the people... And then Jesus turned to them and he said, okay... How about you guys? What do you think? What do you, who do you think? What do you think about me? And Peter, Mark, you, Peter's seen all this. Yeah? He's been there. He smelt the fish. He touched the crumbs. He helped pick up those bits afterwards. 
Peter said, you're the Messiah. Sent from God. You know, Jesus' next words, these words, just imagine in the context of all that excitement, that, wow, you're the Messiah. Just how we would be if Jesus had done that. Standing there, yes, we're seeing it. The kingdom of God has come. Wow. And then Jesus says this. Then he said to the crowd, including the disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Deny yourself, as it puts in other scriptures. Take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but are yourselves lost or destroyed? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. I tell you the truth, some standing here right now will not die before they see the kingdom of God. Wow. That's blunt. Those first few verses in that, Yes, yes, you're the king. It's all happening. Wow. You've got to give up everything. Being a disciple, being a disciple is not a walk in the park. Honestly, being a disciple is challenging. Seriously, for all of us, if we're going to be disciples, it's challenging. It will challenge us. And it could be dangerous you could lose your physical life through it. You could lose everything because of it. You could end up in prison. You could lose all your friends and your family. Now, there are many people around our world that currently that is happening too. So being a disciple is a serious thing. There's four points I want to bring out from this, this passage. And please bear with me. I want to bring all four. So please bear with me. I'm not going to take longer than I need to. The first point is deny yourself. This isn't working for some reason. There you go. Let's try again. Ah, gotcha. Then he said to the crowd... If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Although other scriptures say you must deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. And if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give it, you must give up your own way. Jesus pulls no punches. You must give up your own way. If you want to be a disciple, if you want to be a true follower. Remember what I said at the beginning. This is not about condemnation. This is about a challenge. I have been challenged as I have gone through this. I have not felt crushed, but I have felt deeply challenged by what God is saying to me. Look what he says later, later on, Luke 22, 24 to 26. He says, and then they began to argue amongst themselves. The disciples at this point, they're together, and they're starting to argue. This is... This is Luke 22. This is a little bit later on. And they're still arguing about who will be the greatest amongst them. They began to argue amongst themselves about who would be the greatest amongst them. And Jesus told them, in this world, the kings and the great men lorded over their people, and yet they are called friends of the people. 
but amongst you it will be different. Those who are the greatest amongst you should take the lowest rank and leaders should be like servants. You see, it's not about me. It's not about my ministry. It's not about my position. Do you know, it's so easy to get squeezed into that idea that it is about me. God, won't you give me a Mercedes-Benz? I won't sing the song because I can't, but... But it's not about that. He then goes on to say in John 13, 4 and 5, so he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist. He just met them. He got on his knees and he washed their feet. They'd just come in. They'd walk through poop and all sorts of other things in the street. You know, you go back to Victorian times when all the cabbies were horses. You walk across the street, your shoes get dirty. They get dirty not just with dust and dirt and brake dust like we have today. They get dust with, they get dirty with the real stuff of life, like walking across a farmyard. They came in and their feet were dirty, dusty, and he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin, and then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. You see, it's not about me. Jesus is serving his disciples. He's making a point, because later on, look a few verses further on, 12 to 17, he actually says this, after washing their feet, he put, pardon me, on his robe again. He sat down and he asked, do you understand? Do you understand what I'm doing? You call me teacher and Lord, you are right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to be washing each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than the master, nor the master, sorry, nor the messenger, more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. See, it's not about me. It's about becoming like the master. It's not about what I want. When we come together and worship on a Sunday, yes, God does bless. Yes, he does build us up. Yes, the worship does stir us and encourage us and give us the, the, the oomph that we need to go on. Yes, for all of those things, but they're not the reason we come together. They're like an added benefit. We come together to follow the Master. Some have taken that as they physically will go and get bowls of water and physically wash each other. To be honest with you, my feet are quite nice and clean inside my shoes. They may be stinky, but at least they're clean. No, it's not about just doing that. It's about recognizing what's been said here. Jesus served in the lowest place. His disciples took the absolute lowest point of servanthood, took the job that nobody wanted, and did it willingly, joyfully, and full of grace. And that's what he wants for us. He wants us to recognize it. You see, it's not about us 
A true disciple is not just a student or a learner, but a follower. That's what we saw last week. That is one who applies what he has learned. Jesus is asking us in this first part to step off the throne of our lives and allow him to take that place. Yes, I know that. If you've been in church long enough, you've heard that before. What does that mean? Galatians 2.20 It says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Being a disciple is about putting Jesus on the throne of your life. And the problem with that is that it is about submitting. The joy of it is it's about submitting. And the problem is that it's about submitting. It's about submitting ourselves to his control. It's about living to serve. It's about putting Jesus' priorities above our own. It is about becoming like Jesus. Out of love, out of a response to his work in us, out of a response to his Holy Spirit in our lives, we respond. We don't do it because we want to be good Christians. We do it because it just bubbles up inside us because we're responding to the love and the presence of Jesus Christ in our lives. That's what being a disciple is about. I think the real challenge, the challenge that came to me was, as I sat there in my conservatory, looking out over the garden, pondering this, I felt the challenge to me was, do you trust me that much? That you will give up everything for me And I really mean give it up. I mean let it all go and allow God to take it from you, from your hand. Will you? Will I? was challenged by that. But it doesn't get any easier. It goes on and it says in in the next bit of that first part of of Luke, Luke chapter 9, it says when the crowd... Uh, uh, when he said to the crowd, if anyone wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, deny yourself. And then he said, take up your cross daily. Take up your cross daily. What does that really mean? Daily. Do you know what? I've read the scriptures so often, and there's a little word that I've missed in that. Daily. I've thought about taking up my cross I thought about the fact that, okay, I have to trust God through things. I have to trust God through the good and the bad and all the rest of it. But I've forgotten about the daily. Take up your cross daily. We live in a world that is constantly, constantly pressurizing us. That's what I spoke about last week. That's why I talked about the internet, why I talked about influences, why I talked about all the influences that are pressing into us. Our culture says you matter more than anybody else. You're the important one. If you want it, you can have it. If you want it enough, you can have it. Actually, you can go in for a competition and as long as you really want it enough, you will win that competition. That's the implication. When they asked, oh, they got that. Oh, yeah, they really deserved it because they really wanted it. Rubbish. They got it because they worked hard. These tennis players spent hours and days and weeks just practicing, practicing. And then some bright spark comes along and says, oh, yes, they got it because they deserved it. No, they didn't deserve it. They worked very hard for it. 
We are under that pressure that you matter more than anything else. We have to daily take up our cross and recognize, no, I am serving a living God. Daily. I have to. I'll share one of my pets with you. I drive through the car park in Lidl. I hate that car park. Forgive me, Lord, for hating something. I hate that car park. Nobody looks at the arrows on the road and goes the right way. I'm driving down and there's a car coming towards me and they start making all sorts of sides and rude things and getting really angry with me because I'm stuck in the middle of the road because it's my right of way and they want me to get out of their way so they can drive the wrong way past me. Not to just go into that, that parking space that's just a few inches. No, they just want to drive all the way down and go completely the wrong way around. What's that about? It's because I matter more than you. That's the spirit of the age. I want to go that way. I don't care what the lines say. I don't care what the rules are. I'm going to do my thing. We fight against that daily. Taking up your cross is about putting to death your desire to live for yourself. My desire to live for myself. Putting to death my self-centeredness. Putting to death my desires, my accomplishments, my dreams, my goals, my plans. And that's the difficult bit. Because you and I have dreams and goals and plans and we have things that we really want to do. I am asking, are you willing to put those on the altar as well? Remember, the context of this is not condemnation, but it is challenge. Am I willing to put those goals on the altar and allow God to do what he wants with them? I think that's a real challenge. Do we trust God enough to do that? Do I trust God enough to do that? I'm not preaching anything to you this morning that I have not faced through this last two weeks. I want God to do some amazing stuff. I am tired. I have spent 40 years looking for, expecting to see, and wanting to see God break in and do amazing things. I have seen God do amazing things. Don't get me wrong. I have seen miracles happen. I've seen people healed. I've seen amazing things take place. I have prayed and seen miracles happen. But I've also seen churches miss what God has for them because they just don't want to change. I've seen people laugh about doing the will of God and laughingly walk away and say, oh no, I know God wants me to do that, but I'm not going to do that. I want to see God do some stuff. Not because I want to see miracles, but because I want to see the lost saved. I want to see those who are going to a lost eternity saved and go to an eternity with Christ. Do I trust God enough for that? Once more, back to Luke 23, 24. And then we have this next bit, follow me. Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Remember, a true disciple is not just a student or a learner, but a follower. That is one who applies what he has heard. A disciple is a follower of the master. A student listens and learns. A disciple will follow, apply, and imitate. We have to get to know the Lord.
That's what Matthew 5 and 6 was all about. That's what the Sermon on the Mount was all about. That's what we've been going through. That's why we're preaching hill climbing for beginners because we're talking about us learning to handle the things of life, pressing into the Lord and getting to know him. We need to, we need to know the Lord. We need to spend time with him. We need to spend time in our, in our Bibles reading and, and, and just seeking him and searching for him. We need to put aside time. This morning I was challenged. I sat down this morning at six, no, seven o'clock. I sat down at seven o'clock ready to sort of go through my sermon and get all ready for today. And I just felt, no, I need to spend some time with the Lord. And I'm so glad I did. I put on one of these things. It's actually, um, uh, Pete and Teresa's fault that I actually listened to the thing. Lecto 365, I think it is. And they, they, they sort of told me about this and I put it on my phone. And I was sitting there listening to this. And do you know what the lady said to me in the middle of all this? She said, calm down. Do you know, she, uh, there was a question asked of, of a, 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 a church leader, uh, who, uh, and he, he, uh, he was asked, what's the one word you would say of Jesus? What's the one word you would say of Jesus? No. I've forgotten what that word was. <laughs> that one word, it was, it, it, oh, what did I say to you, Sharon? Not joy, not peace. Relax. Relax, that was the word. See, this is live. I'm, I'm, I, this isn't in my notes, right? Okay. And the, the guy said, relaxed. And I thought, and then I realized, and she said, Jesus found time to go to weddings, to do this, to be with people, all the rest of it. And said, most of our pastors this day and age don't have that. And I looked at myself and I thought, you're right. I want to be like the Lord. I want to be like Jesus. And that's what this last bit is about. The last part of this. And it says that if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. It's about life, being a disciple. Yes, we'll have trials. Yes, we need to de- de- deny ourselves. Yes, we have to follow Jesus. Yes, it's a challenge. But he's promised us life. And in John 10.10, it says, I come that you may have life and have it in abundance. We have acceptance. We have reward. We have love. We have revelation. We have fellowship. We have joy. We have peace. We have his presence. If you want the scriptures for those, I have them all. I can give them to you. Those are all the things that we get. Those are the benefits. Yes, we give up everything. Yes, we put Christ on the altar. Yes, we put him in that place where he can tell us exactly what to do. He can take away our dreams. He can give us new dreams. But the benefit, the comeback, the blessing, the, the, what comes with that is the presence and the life of Christ in us. And nothing can overshadow that. That takes preeminence. And that's what God's called us to. So, we come then to the question, how do we make disciples? I think you're going to be really glad to hear I do not have another four points on this one. And please bear with me, even if I have gone on a little bit. I do not have another four points on these, but I want to come back to Spurgeon. That's why I quoted it at the beginning. If you want to catch flies, try honey. They will be more readily caught with that than with vinegar, at least if they are human flies. Put into your speech love rather than bitterness, and you will prevail. There are times when you must speak with all the sternness of Elijah, but for all that, let the general current of your life, the natural outflow of your entire being, be thankfulness to God and kindness to man. And remember, a true disciple is not just a student 
or a learner, but a follower who applies what he has learned. I'm going to give you, not the key, but what I believe is, is key. We don't save people. Jesus does, God does, the Holy Spirit does. Widge is there. He uses us. But salvation is the work of the Holy Spirit. Equally, there is a sense in which we do not make disciples, even though we've been told to make disciples. But you and I cannot go and make a disciple. We need the power of the Holy Spirit working through us. You see, it's not about us. It is about denying ourselves, taking up the cross and following Jesus. It is about being ready. And there's that story of the, and, and it's on there, but I'm not, I'm not going to read it all, but there's the story of the, of, of the parable of the virgins. And you see them there. And, and in that story, so often we get carried away with thinking it's talking about the Holy Spirit, baptism. I've heard it preached that this is talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is why you need to have the Holy Spirit. You need to have the oil. The oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Yes, I'm not, I'm not saying no to any of that. But I'm just saying to me, for me, when I read it this morning, the Lord was saying, it is far more than that. This is about you being prepared for me. This is about you pressing into me. This is about you wanting to serve me and follow me. And it was the the virgins that were, they had the oil that then went in. This is about God saying, be ready. I think it can all be summed up in Mark 12, 30-31. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. And the second is equally important, and I still haven't told you how you can make disciples, but we're getting there. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other command is greater than this. Making disciples is about being one. And I think it's as simple and as difficult as that. If we as a church want to make disciples, we as a body have to be disciples. If you are a disciple, you will make disciples. Why? Because if you're truly a disciple, you will put Christ on the throne. You will make his priorities your priorities. You will have his heart. Matthew 5 and 6 will be part of who you are. It will be part of your DNA. Why? Because you're being a disciple. You're becoming like Jesus. You're pressing into him. You're not just listening to him and learning from him. You are becoming like him. You are allowing him to change you. If you love God with all of your heart, and that's where we can ask the Holy Spirit to help us, because sometimes we look at that and we say, No, I can't come up to that standard. And again, remember, I said this isn't about condemnation today. This is about encouragement. If we feel we can't come up to that standard, what do we do? We come to God and we ask him. Whether we feel that we're going to end up getting there or not, that has no bearing on this because actually it's about faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and it's about allowing his Holy Spirit to touch and change our lives. God can and does want to use us. And if we're going to make disciples, just be one to make one. Matthew 6, 34 
So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Ain't that true? I'm terrible at this. I worry about tomorrow, that means I've worried about it twice, twice, because I, I, well, I have to deal with it twice. I've dealt with it on the day I've worried about it, and then I have to deal with it when I get there. And probably if I'm worried three days before, I've had it three times. You get the point. But what about this? But what about that? What if I can't say? What if I don't know what to say? What if they ask me a question I can't? What happens if I've gone through this? What happens if there's a death in the family? What happens with all the rest of it? Don't worry about that. Just be a disciple. Be a disciple to make a disciple. Do it. If we are following, our God will take care of everything else. Really, that's it. The challenge is, do we love him that much? Do we trust him that much? I come back to saying it again. This is not about condemnation. I don't think God is saying you're a terrible church. Look, you've missed all this. I really don't. I think God is saying, don't lose it. Hang on to it. Press into more. I have things I want to do in this town, and I really want to use you. I feel that in here. And he doesn't just want to use me, or John, or Gary. He wants to use you guys. That's this, this, you know what's happening this next week? That's all part of this. God wants us to realize that the reality of his kingdom coming is just us being his disciples. Us being a body of his people. Ministry of all believers. Priests before him. Ministering to one another. And dealing with whatever he sends our way. Does that mean God will take everything away from us? No. I don't believe that's right either. Just because God says give up your life doesn't automatically mean that you're going to die. What it means is you give it all over to him. Just because he says give me all your dreams. Allow me to take them from you if I want to. Doesn't mean he will. But it doesn't mean he won't. It just means we give them up and we trust him enough to live in that space. Church, I know God wants to do something in Harlow and he wants to use us. And I just want to encourage you to press into him. If you've been challenged this morning, get before the Lord. I'm not going to ask you to come forward and respond this morning because I think this sort of stuff, you need to respond before God in the quietness of your own home, in your quiet place, before God. And you just need to ask God to show you because for you, it's different. Every single one of us has a different thing that God wants to do. We sometimes get scared because we think God's going to change everything and it's going to be awful. Do you know what? I've left home. I sold my house. I gave up everything. I stopped my job. We went off to Bible college. I could have felt that. I did feel that. And God has been with us all the way through. Am I rich? No. Well, yes, I am, actually. I'm rich in the Lord. There is nothing like walking and following and pursuing God's but we need to. One of the things I read was that, you know, that, that thing about the, the virgins, we have to take responsibility for our walk with the Lord. We can't, we cannot rely on another person's oil. I don't want to preach another sermon, I probably could. We don't want to rely on somebody else's oil, but we need to take responsibility ourselves. 
Church, I believe God wants to do something. Let's just pray. Father God, I want to thank you that you have a work for us to do and you also have a work for each one of us to do. And that means every single person who owns you as Lord and Saviour in this place. So I pray that your spirit will build us, challenge us, encourage us, bring us to a place where we can submit to you, bring us to a place where we can trust you, bring us to a place where we are secure in you, bring us to a place where we know that you will allow only what is good and right in our lives, no matter what comes. Lord, I just pray that now and that you will take us on into more. Lord, your hand has been on this church for many years. I just want us to see us go on into more of what you have for us, Lord. I ask that in your name. Amen.